This is a podcast from the Queen City Podcast Network. And welcome to another episode of Queen City Nerves News Hounds Podcast. I am the host, Ryan Pitkin, and today I believe we have our first ever Charlotte Observer guest in 60-something episodes. Uh, we have local government reporter Jenna Contino. What's going on, Jenna? Hey, thanks for having me. No problem. I've been looking forward to talking to you. I've had uh, tried to have you on a couple of times, but we haven't done just a straight-up reporter episode in quite some time. We just get to talk about a array of different an array of different stories. Um, so I'm looking forward to it because you and I sort of uh, have a Venn diagram. We cover city council together, and it's been quite a road the last few years. It definitely has. <laughs> um, Let's let's just sort of start with how you began because you started to tell me before we got on the mics and I was like, hold on, this is a story that deserves to be on the podcast because you've had uh, you've started in journalism at a time that has been absolutely just uh, there's been no what is the word no precedent for what you've uh, what your career has been like in terms of a pandemic. So tell me a little bit about when you, when you graduated college uh, and what. Oh, where it went from there, how you dealt with yeah, COVID. Yeah, yeah. Sort of. um, so yeah, I graduated from University of South Carolina, so I'm from Rock Hill, so I'm mm-hmm. pretty familiar with Charlotte. Um, born and raised? Born and raised in Rock nice. Hill, okay. yep. Um, yeah, my dad's always worked uptown and everything, so I've been pretty familiar with it. But um, yeah, so I graduated from USC um, in December 2019, and I remember deciding, like, oh, should I just stay an extra semester, like, to graduate with all my friends or, mm-hmm. or just save money and get out early and and start my career. And I'm very glad I did because I wouldn't have gotten a graduation if Mm -hmm. I had stayed that extra semester. Um, But yeah, so I started, um, I was kind of like a general assignment reporter intern at the Greenville News in South Carolina, Greenville, not North Carolina. Um, And we were in a real newsroom for about two months. And then it was like, okay, everyone, we're going to go home for a week. Mm -hmm. This COVID thing is happening. And then I never went back into that newsroom. And, wow. <laughs> um, and so I, I ended up working again at the Greenville News, but I worked at the Spartanburg Herald Journal and then um, came back to Charlotte in May of 2022. So mm-hmm. um, haven't been here a full year yet, but right. yeah. And were you working at any student newspaper at USC? Yeah, I was actually editor of the Daily Gamecock there, okay. their student paper there. Yeah. So I had some experience with that. So did you get a good, I mean, you said two months before the pandemic, because one of the most, I think, uh, one of the biggest learning experiences for me, I was at Union County Weekly before Creative Loafing, before Queen City Nerve, um, and it was sort of covering that small town news. Now, Greenville and uh, Spartanburg aren't super small town, but they are smaller than Charlotte, obviously, uh, by, a, by a stretch. Um, did you sort of get that experience of you know covering those small town uh, local government meetings before moving up to, to Charlotte? Yeah, so I... So when I started at the Spartanburg Herald Journal, that was my first like non-intern job. I covered growth and development there. So all the like zoning meetings and uh, historical neighborhood meetings and everything I covered there um, was virtual for the most part. And then kind of like halfway through that job, city council came back in person and was kind of like in a gym spread out with masks. Um, And so there was lots of rules in place for public speaking um, and people there was actually some of the stories became about how do neighbors know about these developments coming oh, right. if 
like you can't really have a public hearing in person. How do older people get on these Zooms? So that became part of the story almost um, a lot of the times. Um, and then I covered Greenville County Council for a little bit um, right up until I, th this May, or I guess last May now. Mm -hmm. um, and th that was very different than Charlotte. It was a very conservative mm -hmm. council. Um, and they did not care much for COVID restrictions. And so it was kind of back to normal when I was oh, right. covering <laughs> things there. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Yeah. And what is it like covering um, covering a situation like that? Does did you did that become the story? Sort of the fact that nobody cared about uh, the restrictions, or was it just sort of here's what they're talking about at the meeting? It definitely was at mm. first, um, and then of course there was people who would come pr to council meetings protesting masks in schools, so mm -hmm. it came up in in that oh, right. form. Um, but I so like the Greenville City Council is more liberal than the uh, county mm -hmm. council, um, which is pretty typical in a lot of like mid-sized South Carolina and I'm, I assume uh, North Carolina cities as well. Um, but yeah, there was definitely a pretty stark difference between right. going to a city meeting and a county, just like in how they handled it, yeah. which I thought was interesting. I always said about the six towns that I covered in Western Union County that there was no, there really was no dynamic or binary of Republican Democrat because it was all Republican. Mm -hmm. It was just whether you're a pro-growth Republican, pro-development Republican, yep. <laughs> or pro-rural. Like, let's keep Wesley Village, Wesley Village. Yep. Um, so I just, I didn't pay a lot of attention because I was busy with my own thing, but I can't imagine how the COVID stuff was going on down there. Yeah, um, definitely. And I even think, like, um, like I'm doing a story now in the Oakdale community here in, like, Charlotte's ETJ, mm -hmm. and I had a source that was like, oh, we'll just just come pick me up and I'll like show you around so mm -hmm. you can get your bearings. And I'm like, I couldn't do that right. during COVID or like no, we'd be yeah. masked or whatnot. Mm -hmm. um, and I mean, it's kind of with cases now, it's getting a little bit back to mm -hmm. that. So yeah, we're about to see. Well, hopefully, well, hopefully, we can, hopefully not. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> um, we're already into January and you know, we'll just have to keep our eye on it. But um, so what year uh, you said, May this past May, yes, 2022, so May 2022 that you were hired at Charlotte observer. Mm -hmm. How did that sort of come about? You just, saw the was it local government beat they were looking for or did you just land there so i kind of just landed so i did have experience in local government mm -hmm. like we talked about um but my main beat in greenville was um affordable housing and gentrification and mm -hmm. just kind of being a watchdog reporter because greenville was just experiencing this huge amount of growth i mean like in the past 20 years when their mayor was elected the black population went down like 20% or something. Mm. Like it was just a very stark contrast happening so fast. Um, and so I really kind of found a passion for reporting on on housing and, and transportation and poverty and things like that, that I found really affected the most marginalized people. Um, and so I wanted to do that at a different paper. Um, Greenville News was a Gannett paper, and I don't know how much you know about corporate mm -hmm. newsrooms, right. but they've I don't even know if I would have a job if I was there now. Mm -hmm. They've kind of gutted a lot of their newsrooms. Um, so it's good I got out when I did. Mm -hmm. um, I'm in a union newsroom now, too, um, which is good. But, um, yeah, so I saw this job opened, and Raina, our executive editor, was actually the executive editor at the Savannah Morning News before. And um, my friend had worked there, and she, like, really enjoyed working with her. And so I just kind of, we kind of DM'd on Twitter, and I was like, well, hey, what jobs do you have open? Oh, like, nice. I'm, I'm looking... I'd love to be back closer to family um, in Charlotte and back where a lot of my friends were. So it just kind of all fell into place. And nice. I don't know if I'll be on local government for forever, but mm -hmm. I'm, I'm enjoying it right now. Right. And well, that's uh, getting settled in. 
I actually kind of thought just from my own anecdotal awful memory that you had been here longer uh, just because I've been seeing your byline for quite some time. And uh, But, I mean, you came right in, the, in an interesting year. I mean, how far were we into – so May was like right around when we – and when I say we, I mean the city. I'm not on city council, right, obviously, right. but we, when city council Pat finally approved the uh, comprehensive plan, you came yeah. in right as they were sort of voting on that. I finalizing. think it was right after. So I came oh, okay. in in like the middle of budget season for okay. both the city and the county. Right, because we do cover county as well. Yeah, I cover yeah. the county commission as well. Um, so it was it was kind of crazy. I know, like my first week when mm. they were having budget discussions, my editor was just like. Don't write any stories, like just kind of observe and talk to people and Mm -hmm. and watch these meetings and know what you're getting into, um, which was helpful to have. Um, Yeah, because city council, I feel like, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, if I'm missing some sort of controversy, but I feel like city council budget was pretty, pretty simple, easy Praised on all sides. Right. Yeah. City uh, was county crazy. was a shit show. Yeah. County had uh, a little drama. Dra- <laughs> I mean, it's always with the CMS board and mm-hmm. withholding money. Um, what was that like for you to cover to sort of get into the dynamic of? Because I, I think our last guest uh, was Jennifer De La Hara, and we talked okay. a lot about uh, sort of the the almost performative beefs that happen between city count. I mean, a uh, county commission and the CMS board. When there's really a lot of other, you know, focus on the state where we, where most of the funding comes from and this and that, and then people get caught up in voting for the county commission based on school funding and they really have nothing to do with it. Uh, but there's a lot of this performative. We're going to withhold your funds. I mean, was that was that sort of like I don't know, not culture shock, but just like what is going on here? What was that learning curve like? Yeah, I will say coming from. South Carolina, not many things in the education mm-hmm. sphere could shock me. Mm-hmm. And also growing up on public education from South Carolina. Um, so, and I remember, I actually have kind of a little story about this. My very first meeting I covered, I think it was like just a normal county commission meeting. Like it wasn't a budget meeting or anything. I remember they like were talking about the Picasso exhibit. Like that was kind oh, of the, right. the news of that day. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wasn't writing a story because it was still like my first week. And there was a single woman protesting outside of the government center. And she had a sign that said like, save CMS, we need new leadership. And mm-hmm. I was like, hey, are you going to the meeting tonight? Like, mm-hmm. what, like, what are you upset about? And just kind of talked to her. So my very first day, I kind of ran the into a source and yeah. she ended up like I ended up passing her along to our education reporter and mm-hmm. um, she ended up being a source for us but um, it, it was just like the very first day mm-hmm. I kind of was jumping into the middle of this and, and hearing about it. But was it Colette? Was it Colette? Yeah. No, okay. it was not. <laughs> she strikes me as someone who would stand out there by herself. Um, no, <laughs> yeah. And not saying that I in a negative way. I don't remember her name Colette's off the top great, of my head. <laughs> but she is passionate. I have met her, yeah. Um, um, but I do um, – like recently, I they just had the first like joint meeting between the uh, county commission and the new school board. Oh right, yeah. Um, and they were George Dunlap was very big on like this is a new we're turning over a new leaf. Yeah, because these I are think, new people. Yeah. Like when Jennifer was in here, she had said that I think it was two days after that meeting, and yeah. she said it went really well. Yeah, because I know I think she didn't go to the meeting mm-hmm. because like just like scheduling conflict. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I'm curious to see how, how if this uh, these. Uh, Pleasantries between them will yeah, continue. Yeah, <laughs> see if the uh, kumbaya continues. Right, right, right. Um, so what are some of the stories that sort of you remember from 2022? Before we go into I want to get your thoughts on some of the newer ones, including a story that you've been working on today, um, today being Thursday. This podcast will release Friday. But um, 
about James Mitchell, Smuggy. Um, what were some of the some of the more uh, I don't know the stories that you really worked the hardest on twenty twenty two in local government that that stick with you that you'll remember from your first six months at the Observer? Right. Yeah. It was definitely. I will say I had when you're talking about culture shock. Just the size of the market was. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the most overwhelming thing about about jumping in, I mean, just having um, like just so much broadcast competition I wasn't mm-hmm. used to. I mean, in South Carolina, we had like the Post and Courier and other newspapers, but um, this was like the first time seeing like more than one TV camera at, yeah. a, at a public meeting. Um, but yeah, I think the, the biggest story um, I really wrote was um, just kind of analyzing CAT's effectiveness, Charlotte Area Transit System. Um, and I like went without my car for a week to just test oh, it right. out. Mm-hmm. Um, and that kind of, that was kind of the biggest project I guess I did, um, this past year. And it was definitely the one that got the most response from people. I mean, I definitely, like, I had like five bike riders just be like, Hey, I have an extra bike you can borrow. Like mm-hmm. it's just, everyone's been reaching out. They're like, this is so cool that you did that. And then right. other people were like, oh, you would never understand. You're so privileged. So I got like that kind of feedback too, which I think is important to respond to. But it was like the first story I feel like I was actually like interacting with the community and like made myself, not made myself part of a story, but just right, yeah, you, truly, yeah, in, did yeah, that observational, person. yeah, first mm-hmm. person reporting. Um, and, I, and I think it paid off. I got a lot of great sources from that and I feel like I can more accurately cover cats going mm-hmm. forward. And I did, I do remember seeing a lot of engagement with that. Um, and just what was your main takeaway in terms of going car free for the week? I can't fully rely on the bus mm-hmm. <laughs> all the time. Right. I did get left on this other road once. Um, and I really think I, I live like uh, in the Optimist Park area. Mm-hmm. So I think I need to get a bike and just mm-hmm. commit to that because it's like just too long of a walk to the light rail. And like mm-hmm. the bus doesn't go where it's just like an awkward spot where I am and getting Great to the area. government center on a bike would just be so much easier. Right, yeah. And gray area, I mean, talk about, you already live in Optimus Park, which is has a stop. Right. Imagine living in some place that the light rail really is no Yeah, exactly. Option. For sure. Um, so let's, let's zoom up. Let's fast forward to now because you've been working on a story. I assume this is one of the stories you were telling me about that you had to work on today when we were yes. checking if you could come on because I saw you uh, updated it today. Uh, it's the James Smuggy Mitchell I guess you call it a ruling today. SBI, uh, State Bureau of Investigation, made a decision or a non-decision on sort of what's been going on with him. But you've been covering it. I haven't, so I'll let you sort of say in your own words what people have decided. Yeah, and definitely go check out Jenna's writing. I don't want to. I didn't just bring <laughs> her on the podcast to uh, pilfer her reporting <laughs> and make her say it on my podcast. But the elevator pitch of sort of what we've been what you've been working towards with James Mitchell. Yeah. So. James Mitchell, he's an at-large Charlotte City Councilman, um, and he was claiming that he had a 25% ownership stake in a construction company um, that has active contracts with the city of Charlotte. Um, And because this came to light through a memo that the city attorney sent to all council members saying, hey, if this comes up in the court of law, it would be the councilman who would get in trouble for violating a criminal law, not the board as a whole. And then was like, hold up, he still has an ownership stake? Like, Mm -hmm. what's going on here? Is he profiting from this? Um, And the company continued to claim, no, he no longer has his ownership Mm -hmm. stake. Um, And he was like, no, I still have it. Like, that's the weird part. Yeah, that's the weird part. He kept kind of owning this one thing that would... That would put him in trouble. Put him in trouble. And then, yeah. Um, And 
and even in the, the DA report that came out today, which was um, the story I, I wrote this morning, um, even throughout those conversations with the investigator, and even at times, there was one time it seemed that he disagreed with his attorney about the ownership right. stake and if yeah. they should pursue legal action to, to find that, um, like, if he owns it in the court of law. Right. And um, I think the DA called it peculiar peculiar if he were to mm. to pursue that because he would be in violation of criminal Smuggy law. Smuggy goes by the George Costanza rule on Seinfeld, which is, it's not a lie if you believe it. <laughs> because I really think that he thinks that he owns a quarter of this company because he's really just continued to say that. And I, uh, when I talked to him today, he didn't say... Um, if he would definitely, I asked him if he was going to bring this to court, mm-hmm. um, and he was like, I don't, I don't know yet at the time, but like, I'm just glad to have this behind me for now and like focus on my role in city council. Yeah, so. it's been a weird uh, few years in terms of folks coming back and leaving, and uh, whether they were elected or not. <laughs> we saw Greg Phipps come back out of the blue. Oh yeah. Um, so I was gonna say I, I, I was gonna ask sort of your thoughts on. You know, we were just talking about the kumbaya nature of, um, uh, or hopefully this year, between uh, the board and the county commissioners, but it seems to me that city council has uh, calmed down a good bit since they, from where they were right before you came on. Um, City or county? City council. Um, Just in terms of, like, there was a lot of bickering and a lot of just... uh, I think a lot of it came from leaks and people getting pissed off that people were leaking. And um, Did you catch last night's meeting by chance? I did not. The committee, I wanted to talk to you about the, com- it was committee report out day, right? Yeah, it was committee report yeah. day. And there were, there seemed to be some, some tensions oh, okay. that night uh, regarding the intergovernmental uh, affairs mm-hmm. committee, just over, that's still like this repeating conversation over what authority do, do the committees have mm-hmm. and who's stepping on whose toes and mm. they're like making these decisions or recommendations in the committee meetings and they bring it to this report out at the end of the night. Um, and everyone's like, well, how did you decide that with only three people on the committee? Like, uh, and now so we're supposed to vote point. on it and we don't yeah. know. And it's like, well, they That's, always say you do the work in committee. Mm-hmm. It feels like there's not clear guidelines established or that mm-hmm. the guidelines are frustrating the right. council members and they're I not getting s- along. I hate that. I feel like that's another issue with uh, the Arts and Council, the Arts and Science, not Arts and Science Council, Arts and Culture, arts and Advisory, Culture Board. Advisory Board. Thank you. Um, it sounds weird when you call it ACAB because that means something uh, else. Yep. But um, <laughs> just the fact of like now we're in the middle of this heated debate over like, well, who says that we're supposed to be de- like we're supposed to be deciding this? Why are they making these decisions? And it's like I thought for the last year and a half that we were discussing that's why there is going to be a board to sort of trust them with those decisions. And it's crazy to think that, like, then it comes back in front of the council and they cry conspiracy, they cry corruption as if they just have no say in it. So it sounds like it's sort of a lot of some of that similar stuff with committees as to, like, this committee was already named. They're supposed to be doing the work. Yeah, and and a little context for the um, discussion last night that Mm -hmm. I thought was interesting. Um, And I'm... And like I said, I've I've been here less than a year, so I think mm-hmm. they've talked about this before, but I'm not. I I haven't written about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but what the Intergovernmental Affairs um, Committee brought up was extending their terms from two years oh to God. four years. Yeah, <laughs> um, making them full time instead of part time. Mm-hmm. So that would include pay um, and staggered. Or no, adding an eighth council district, but keeping the four at large. Right. Right. Um, 
and they were saying like legislative action or the legislature doesn't require us to hold a bond referendum for this, so we're just going to proceed ahead. And that's when Tarek Bakari was like, whoa, 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 that doesn't look good to not have like the people have their say in this. Like, I will make it my personal responsibility to get 5,000 signatures to make sure it goes through a referendum mm -hmm. if you do this. So it was just like, and I'm not saying it was just Tarek that was ca causing mm -hmm. the controversy. That's just one moment I remember from it. Um, and it just really highlighted that it seems like the council members aren't on the same page when it comes no. to the committee and yeah. so what they do. And that's what I was going to talk about in terms of like, I was wondering what what has gotten them to sort of calm down a little bit because it used to just be just hours and hours of sitting there listening to people bicker over conversations like this. And it would a lot of times come into these committee report out nights, which this year is different in the sense that just starting with this new 10-year term, um, they've now started doing the first Monday of every month. It's committee report outs. It's committee meetings all day. <laughs> And then report outs just by themselves at night, which mm -hmm. are, when we say committee report outs, that means at the, be used to be at the beginning of a meeting, now I'm saying it's the full meeting, but it's basically the committee chairs come together or come in front of council and just say what they discussed during their chair, during their meetings that day. Yeah. And I think also the issue, so those committee meetings start at 10 a.m. that first mm -hmm. Monday and they last, the last one's at four. Mm -hmm. um, and then that kind of regroup meeting is at six. And instead of it being like just the chair saying, hey, this is what we talked about at our next council meeting, we can we can vote on this. It's like, OK, this is what we talked about. Now let's go around the room and every single person right. tell us Needs your thoughts. Say, yeah. um, and by that time, everyone's been there all day. They're tired. They're right. irritated, which I get. Um, but Are you covering from 10 to whatever time the I, Yesterday meeting? I did. Yeah. Um, sometimes like. If there's not a lot on the committee agendas, I might watch virtually and um, work on another story from home. Right. Um, but yesterday there was two stories I had to write from those meetings, so I was mm. like, oh, "I'll just stay. I'll yeah, eat the show well. Mars there." And yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I haven't gotten in a flow since the new election, since the new board uh, council came on, in terms of covering live meetings because it's like the I covered the very first committee report out night, and it was just nothing was happening, and it was just like, "Do I need to cover these?" Like. I don't know. I, I try to pick and choose the important. I always do business meetings, but even those have been super just cut short agendas. Um, and I've been focused on other things and stuff with the holidays happening and whatever. But uh, I need to just hop on board for one of these committee report outs because it seems like they're getting to the point where they're getting interesting. Yeah, and I think because a lot of times there's no vote, there, mm. that's kind of well, when that's more drama sort of, happens. Yeah, because yeah, they're just discussing. Yeah, and, and they don't. Well, I wouldn't even say that. I was going to say because there's no vote, they might not have done their research and they're just sort of learning things for the first time. But sometimes when there's a vote, they're learning things for the right. first time. <laughs> See that plenty. Um, so let's talk a little bit about some of these stories that you've covered in the last few days, like January, like this week. Um, there's a few that uh, I've been involved with that I want to get your thoughts on. Well, Lata being the number one one, you just wrote a great story sort of updating where we stand with that. And I was hoping to go to one of those meetings that they're having with the, uh, I don't know if they're calling it a board or a committee or a focus group or whatever. Um, but what? tell me a little bit about what you learned reporting on Lata, formerly Lata Plantation, now historic Lata Place or just historic Lata? I think it's just Lata Place Lata right place. now, yeah. Um, it could be this, renamed, though. This came from... Uh, Back in 2020 or 2021, I believe, uh, 
I had tweeted about a, an event that they were hosting for Juneteenth that was just all over the place in terms of how they worded the uh, uh, how they worded the event description and saying I'm not even going to try to try to repeat some of it, but it was just really just uh, what's the word? Mis- not misguided, but just. Uh, What's, I don't the know. word the observer used was racist. Well, yes, definitely <laughs> racist. But even in the sense that, like, you know, as it uh, as everyone came to learn, like, you know, it was run by a black man and his family, and and he was very much a character in his own right. But at the very uh, at the very least, ill informed. But yes, I'll agree with the racist uh, terminology used in some of that event description. But anyway, very quickly was a reaction from the county, which was uh, sort of the umbrella that owned and still owns historic Lada and was letting this person run it. And their lease was already about to run out. So they let it run out. It's been closed. Um, and they're, they're looking into new ways to, to reinvent it, rebrand it and keep it an educational site. As you reported just this week, tell me a little bit about what some of the new plans are there. Cause I think it's important. And I wanted people to know from the get go that I didn't want it just raised and shut down because i I'm a big history guy, and I think that sort of education is important. It's it's when it turns into an entertainment venue that I think is kind of when it gets gross. Yeah, so the first thing, or the first person I talked to for that story was, um, he was the professor from Davidson, I quoted Dan Aldridge. Um, he's the chair of Africana Studies at Davidson University, and I just wanted to talk to him to be like, is there a right way to, to kind of... Uh, not redevelop, what's the word? Like reopen these plantations as a historical site. And he was like, absolutely, like they should be. Mm -hmm. The problem is how they're portrayed truthfully and showing the full extent to what enslaved people's roles were and how they kept sub plantations running rather than the whitewashed history that we sometimes see. Mm -hmm. Um, Like I think that Juneteenth event from 2021 was like, Celebrate or not celebrating, but acknowledging white refugees or it something. Was like it was like centering, like, oh, now the overseer doesn't have a job. Yeah, what's yeah, yeah. He, What's he going right. to do? <laughs> it's just like, wow. Lots of things to unpack there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so the county now um, is, they, they kind of found this focus group of, of different partners um, to reopen it as an educational site with, um, and like they even floated an option of calling like the slavery research center, like really kind of leaning into that and showing the role that I think there was, it's a, it's not a huge house, but there was about 30 enslaved people that lived on it at a time. I, from the research I could find. Um, but yeah, just like really showing it with, um, whether that's live retellings of history, um, showing like the way that enslaved people live, just like really just, just mm-hmm. not whitewashing this history. And I think Absolutely. one of the things I took away from it, and it's kind of a theme that I've heard a few times now from different sources when it comes to these big controversial events surrounding equity of some sort. Mm-hmm. It's that the main protesters of those events, their main complaint is always Charlotte just gets the same advisory board or whatever, oh, right. like from this bank and from this Task minority group. Is, like yeah. Them. And they throw the, the same people on it. Mm-hmm. And that that was the complaint, again, here from um, the activist Cass Otley I spoke mm-hmm. to who protested that event mm-hmm. um, in 2021. So I just thought I just kind of made that connection to other things. I, yeah. I think the about. best uh, uh, comparison or allegory, I guess, not allegory, but just a comparison that I can make 
uh, it was a friend of mine hit me up who lived in that area growing up, and she said, you know, my mom's really, my mom's really mad at you, because <laughs> this story like it went nationally viral so quick, and I commend the county because they got it shut. I mean, it happened to be good timing with the lease running out, but they shut that place down real quick. Um, and she was like, you know, my mom goes for walks there almost every day and she loved going there and I went there as a kid and like, why, what is being accomplished by shutting it down? And I was like, I don't want it to remain closed forever. My whole point is like, try to imagine going to Germany to visit your friend for a wedding. And they're like, we're going to go to this concentration camp and it's going to be beautiful. We're going to have a beautiful wedding there. Can't wait. And, and that would be disgusting to you. Would it not? Cause like, this is the history in America, the same sort of thing. Um, and she was just like, wow, I've never heard it really put that way. And I don't even, I'll be honest. I don't know if, uh, as Lada plantation, they hosted weddings, but they definitely hosted whiskey tastings and Halloween events and all sorts of th- different things that made it an entertainment venue. And that was just my sort of way of putting it to, to the folks who don't get it. Like, this should be held as more sacred ground than just a place to hang out yeah. and have a great time. And, and you I, can still walk at Latta Nature Preserve. Yeah, the Nature well. Preserve. It's, it's on that site. Yeah. And I, like I said, I grew up in um, Rock Hill, and we would take – and, like, the news has – I know a broadcast station has done a story about this since, but – I remember in fifth grade, like, taking a field trip to the Carroll School. I think Mm -hmm. it's in Fort Mill. I'm not exactly sure. Um, But I remember as a child, like, we would pick cotton and sing slave songs. And that was, like, part of our (laughs) curriculum. And, like, I remember seeing when I was in college, like, York County School District Mm -hmm. gets in trouble for making kids sing slave songs. And I was like, wait, we really did that? Like, that? what is going on? Right. We we were sent pictures – we didn't really do a lot of follow-up reporting just because the effect had already happened after the cause in terms of the plantation shutting down. But we were sent pictures by all sorts of parents who were like, I've been trying to tell people for years this. Uh, this guy who owns it uh, has had our kids there for a um, field trip and was doing the same thing. They were sending us pictures of their kids actually like dressed up as slaves or picking uh, fake cotton bowls and stuff like that. So that was definitely happening there too as well for many years and folks were like emailing us thanking us like uh we've been trying to tell people for years that this is not the right way to educate folks in this way um another story that i just think is is, it's not uh quite as uh controversial by any means but i think it's going to be affecting a lot of folks lives in terms of not only the construction of it but also when it ever does finish but the new transit center in uptown that you did a a little bit of reporting on this week i mean you've done plenty of reporting on throughout and that's been one of the bigger city council topics in the last however many months but uh what do you i just want to sort of get your thoughts on where we stand in terms of whether it's going to be there's been a lot of back and forth about whether we can even make it underground or not and we certainly can um but the last i saw like i said i've been uh sort of on not on hiatus but only passively covering city council. So I want to know if there's been any updates from these three um, designs that were pitched a couple months ago in terms of one above ground, one at ground level, one of the new, and I'm talking about the transit center across from Bobcats. uh, Oh my God. (laughs) Across from um, Hornets Spectrum Spectrum Center. (laughs) Jeez, I was going to say Bojangles Coliseum. Uh, Turning it into a huge compound that includes a Hornets practice facility, but as well as the new transit transportation center that's sort of the hub for all of CATS. And they also had one underground that's gotten a lot of talk around it. And you just reported on a new design that the committee put up 
in terms of what an underground center could look like. Yeah, so it, it sounds like they're going to go with the underground design. Yeah, CAD mm-hmm. staff has recommended it. So now the city um, transportation planning committee has recommended it. And so it will become official that like they'll move forward with that design um, if the MTA, the Metropolitan Transit, Transportation Authority, oh, right. um, whatever, yeah. <laughs> um, they vote on it January 25th. Okay. Um, and that's kind of like the formal okay, cats, go ahead with this design moving forward. Um, But yeah, you said it's not as controversial, and maybe I'm just in a city council bubble, but it's been pretty controversial among, like, um, like you had last night, Loana Mayfield was bringing up concerns of having all these EV batteries of buses Mm -hmm. underground and, like, what happens if there's a fire. Um, And that created some some conversations, arguments Mm -hmm. among among council members. But, um, and I... When I did that, the cat story, when I um, went without my car, I spent a day in the transit center just asking different passengers who were waiting, like, hey, what do you think about, like, would you feel safe in an underground or what option would you like best? And I really got mixed, like, completely mixed opinions. Mm -hmm. I had one guy who was from Buffalo, New York originally and was like, yeah, when it gets cold or really hot, I don't want to be outside. Like, I want to be under this. And then I talked to an older woman who was like, no, I don't feel safe. Like, I... Mm -hmm. I feel like if I were to be robbed or whatnot, and there's not someone there to see if I'm underground, like it, I don't know if anything would happen. So right. um, I've definitely gotten completely mixed opinions on it from the people who actually use it. So right. I thought definitely. that was interesting. I actually, what you just said about the Twitter bubble, or not the Twitter bubble, the city council bubble, which can sometimes overlap, um, it reminded me of a tweet that you put up maybe yesterday or the day before that I found. I 100% relate to um, my girlfriend will sometimes roll her eyes when I still get to talking about New York media and how much they annoy me at their their just assumption that everyone thinks the way that they do um, and you had said something about it was hilarious somebody had written I don't even know what it was some sort of think piece or maybe it was just it was a reported a- piece about Sam Brink Bankman Freed? Yeah, it was from a New York Times newsletter, which was oh, okay. like a, a business type newsletter. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Um, which I should, probably should have given that context. But. Yeah, no, yeah, but it's still funny because somebody had said in it that you you did a screenshot of them saying maybe it came, or it probably came up at your Thanksgiving meal or holiday meal as to why Sam Bankman Freed was let out on right. such and such bond, and it was like. Nobody. Like, I can tell you all my aunts and uncles in Lexington, South Carolina, right. did do not, not do not know who that is. <laughs> right. And it kills me because not only does that, on a more national level, always get my, uh, I was about to say get my goat, can we get more cliche, but just like that pisses me off. But then at the same time, there's also that sort of feeling of the Twitter sphere and whether that's like real life or not, because there are like, like 20, uh, maybe a little bit more, dozens of uh, local media folks, and then like, I don't know, a hundred being liberal, uh, not politically liberal, a hundred if I'm being, you know, uh, to s- uh, other Charlotte Twitter members who are always like talking about certain topics and they hammer it down. And, and then you get out in the real world, and I have friends that I've known since high school that I'm very tight circle with, and they don't know what the hell... I'm talking about if I talk about, you know, half of the things that are going on. And that's why I was shocked when the latter thing reached one of those friends. And she reached out to me because it was like, well, I guess that does affect her her mom's life. She lives right next to him and always walks through there. But, like, I don't know. What, what are your thoughts on that in terms of, like, 
I think it's so important uh, for us as a media comp- as media as journalists to recognize when we're just writing for the Twitter circle and making sure that we're actually speaking to and for folks who are not really interested in the same topics. Right. Yeah. I think it really is easy to get just, Mm -hmm. I mean, blindsided, I guess, just being in that bubble all the time um, and really taking a step back and thinking like, okay, how many people does this actually affect? Like, is Mm -hmm. this something that I should be spending my time this week reporting on? Um, And I definitely need to be having that conversation with myself more. Um, but yeah, it, it's interesting. Like there, there is a, a really good, a really big handful of people on Twitter that, mm-hmm. that really care and will always reply to tweets about niche city council things. Right. And then I like talk to my friends at a bar in Noda and they're like, they're getting no. a new CTC. Like who is, what's the CTC? Yeah. <laughs> who is Tarek Bakari again? Yeah. Like, like who is that? Are, yeah. Or I'll be like, yeah, all like the entire county commission is Democrat. And they're like, Really? Right. That's like my whole job. Like, what? Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, so it is really, really easy to, to just get lost in it. Um, Mm -hmm. and I, and I, like the observer at least is really experimenting with like what, like if I do something with a North Carolina angle, is that get more page views? Mm -hmm. Or if I do something that's really localized, like something that's just happening in East Charlotte, um, will that really speak to readers who, who really need this change or whatnot? Mm -hmm. Um, so we're definitely experimenting with that and also n- pushing not to just rely on page views. Sometimes there are stories about COVID that need to be told that people f- will never we're read, but, yeah, yeah. but it, like we have to do as we a public service yeah. and same for, you know, some breaking news, some crime news, things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's, it's been interesting when I'm trying, I'm still, I'm not a year in, but I'm trying right. to figure, I can't figure it out. <laughs> well, no, you're doing amazing. And I think the fact that I thought that you'd been here for at least a year already speaks to that. that because you're <laughs> killing it. Um, but, uh, I really appreciate you coming in. Is there yeah. anything that you think is important to mention? Any stories to keep an eye on, whether in the Twitter sphere or not, <laughs> whether it's just city council niche that you're going to be watching the hardest in 2023? Right. I think I used my last brain cell on that Mitchell story today. Yeah. So. <laughs> right. It's time to find a new focus, and yeah. then you'll decide on it tomorrow. Yep. All right, cool. Well, I really appreciate you coming in, Jenna. Yeah, um, no, this is great. Find her reporting at, Je- at, at, oh my God, at Jenna, at Charlotte Observer. Um, and what's your Twitter handle? My Twitter is Jenna, G-E-N-N-A, Contino, C-O-N-T-I-N-O. All right, awesome. Well, I appreciate you coming in, and uh, I'll be looking, you know, seeing you reporting as we go, and I'll see you at the city council. All right, thanks so much. All right, see you. Cheers. QueenCityPodcastNetwork.com. dot com.